Good morning. It is a, truly a big, a great privilege for me to, to be here. And uh, I just want to really um, share a little bit for first, uh, a little bit of what the Lord has done and is still doing in Portugal, uh, in and through uh, our ministry. And then there's a quick video that I want to show you. And then I want to share with you a little, um, a short message of what the Lord has put in my heart uh, for us this morning. So let us just uh, start in prayer so the Lord can be uh, present within us. Uh, dear Lord, just want to invite you, Lord, to be with us. Uh, thank you um, for this opportunity to share your word, for thinking and, uh, and just looking at what you're doing in and through us, Lord. I just want to ask to, for your continued to blessing your time here in Jesus' name. Amen. So, yeah, um, as you can see in the picture, this is me, and uh, this is my wife and my, my daughter, she, Julianne. So my wife, Sarah, and my daughter, Julianne. Julianne just turned two in March, and uh, yeah, we're very uh, proud parents. Um, and we've been serving in Portugal uh, since 2013 uh, with a church planting project. And... Um, Portugal is in the most western point um, of Europe, uh, the, most, um, the country in most, uh, the most uh, tip of, of Europe, the most eastern point. 81 of the, popula the population in, in Portugal is uh, considered Roman Catholic. And it's, hard to difficult, it's very difficult to pinpoint the exact number of uh, Christian believers in Portugal. But a conservative estimate uh, shows us anything between 0.4% to 1% of believing Christians. So, as you can see, it's a very, um, there are really not a whole lot of um, believers in this country, which makes uh, evangelism and discipleship a high priority, just as church planting a high priority in this country. And uh, where, where Christians are nearly invisible, and um, we've, we've been called by the Lord to be working with discipleship and evangelism in the, in the context of church planting. And this is what we've been uh, doing and what the, what the Lord has called us. And also giving nationals the encouragement to reach out to their, uh, to their peers, to their uh, wherever they are. And uh, I just would like to share a couple of um, encouragements from what the Lord has done with us and through us. And one very special thing for me was to be working with, um, in partnership with Agape, which is the Campus Crusade, the crew, the university ministry here in, 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 in the US. It's called Agape in Portugal. And it's, it was very interesting to see the life of Ayrton. So Ayrton, uh, next slide, please. So Ayrton is this, um, uh, university student right in the middle. And he comes from a very Catholic background. And in talking to him, he told me and he shared with me that he saw God as a boss. He saw God a lot more as, yeah, this kind of distant uh, entity, rather this, this personal um, friend and father that you can have a relationship with. It was very, very interesting to see that just after this... Um, this discipleship and evangelism course that we did 
with Agape, with Crew, uh, he shared with me that he, he really wanted to have a deeper relationship with God. And so it is so interesting to see, it's so good to see that the Lord is working in, in our midst. Ayrton also comes from a, a very kind of tough background. He's an immigrant in Portugal. And so, you know, with all these changes, it is so good to see that he's finding some comfort in, in the Lord as well. Another encouragement for us was to see uh, this uh, single mother. Next slide, please. Yes, the single mother here, uh, she and uh, her daughter were baptized with us. And it was very interesting to see that she came to our Bible studies and uh, she shared with me that one of the things that most impacted her was that she didn't feel judged, but that through our Bible studies, she was able to really have a deeper relationship with God and also to be baptized, and her and her daughter. And so it was just so great to see that, you know, people with broken lives were able to find comfort and, uh, and really have a second chance in their lives uh, because of the gospel, because of the transforming power of the gospel. And another uh, great encouragement was Inish. Uh, I don't have her picture here, uh, but uh, she was... Uh, she had a brain cancer when she was a teenager, and uh, she, she was doing great when she started uh, attending our Bible studies. And it was just great to see how she was engaging in the Word of God and how she was engaging with us. And just to see that um, the impact that we have in people's lives are just not earthly impact, but our eternal impact. She was baptized and with uh, Christina and her daughter and the same day. And shortly after that, just a couple of months, the Lord took us. And uh, it was very, very sad for us to see Ines' loss. But we know that the Lord is at work. And every time that we see the Lord working, we always remember people that are praying for you, for us. We always remember that the Lord works through the prayers of you. And we always, we always know uh, that the same way that God saved me and you, God is redeeming a people in Portugal and here in Alexandria. God wants to save people and God is at work. So here are just uh, some ways that you can be praying for us. Next slide, please. Yes, here are just some ways that you can be praying for us. And uh, I would like just to finish with this uh, a short four-minute video so you can have an overview of what our uh, team of missionary is doing. Thank you so much. When you go to Lisbon, when you walk around, there's a, a ton of beautiful cathedrals and Catholic churches. They have a religious heritage, and so when you talk about the Bible, it doesn't necessarily scare them away. In Portugal, one or two out of every hundred people might be a Christian. Even though a country can be wealthy and without a lot of tangible needs, their spiritual need is just huge. We are a secular country with a very 
Roman Catholic background. We are dying for lack of values, for lack of compassion, uh, and we need to to the, the transforming message of the Gospel here. We're Jonathan and Tracy Shoemaker, and we live here in Lisbon, Portugal. We have four children. We've been here since 2006, and we're missionaries with Reach Global. I'm Israel. This is my wife, Sarah, and we've been working with church planting for the past four years and a half. We are Gary and Terry Camlin, and we have been serving in Portugal for over 21 years now. Our primary ministries here in Lisbon have been involved with church planting, outreach to college students, and theological education. The Vita Nova Network is a group of church planting projects that are all connected with the Vita Nova Baptist Church. Either a Portuguese national or a missionary and some lay people that are planting churches and we're all working together to resource each other, to learn together, to encourage each other, uh, to pray for each other within the, the network. Trabalhar sozinhos então, temos trabalhado com várias parcerias, com outras juntas missionárias, com outras igrejas em Portugal, Reach Global é uma delas. Então queremos ver um movimento de plantação de igrejas a acontecer em Portugal. A Rede Vida Nova é apenas um contributo nesse sentido. The connection with Vida Nova Church is really being refreshing to us. It's good to be in the ministry, to be serving, but also to be served, also to be trained. Once a week, Israel shares a Bible story with this group of about 50 kids and helps encourage them or give them some perspective of faith in their life, uh, not just helping them with their homework, not just meeting with, you know, playing games with them. These are non-church kids and we've been able to take them to Young Life, which is easy, controlled, chaos, party with the purpose. <laughs> um, and it's been fun to see the kids open up and um, read their Bibles and ask questions and investigate. The school has now been in existence for over 40 years. There are now hundreds of graduates serving in various parts of Portugal, but also around the world. We do believe that the Bible Institute is making history as far as spreading the gospel and training up leaders for uh, the evangelical future of Portugal. There is still a lot of need for evangelism, for discipleship, for church planting. And so we need people who are willing to invest their lives in the Portuguese people and to train Portuguese people up for reaching their own people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. If someone is interested in pursuing like um, relationships with unbelievers and they want to be persistent in that, then this is the place to come. We'd love to see God bring a, a new wave of, of young people to work with us, to work with the Portuguese, in reaching their neighborhoods, reaching their cities for Jesus. Well, this morning's message is grounded in Acts 16. So I invite you to hear these words as I read from Acts 16. I'll be starting in verse 13. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, 
a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyreta. There was a worshiper who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money from her owners by fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and they are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept and practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and he saw the prison doors open and he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds, and immediately he and all his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave, go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without trial, even though we were Roman citizens and threw us into prison and now they want to get rid of us quietly? No, let them come themselves and escort us out. The officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house, where they met with the brothers and encouraged him. Then they left. That's God's word for us from Acts 16. Thank you, Brian. 
Thank you, Brian. Um, <clears throat> I, I want to invite you to come and get to know the first church that was established in Europe. We were in Portugal, in, in Europe, and uh, this is a very dear and special passage for me because uh, this is how the gospel started to spread in Europe. And um, it is very special to me to see that what we see in the outside, what we see in the very last uh, verse, verse that we just heard, after Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house, and they, and they, and they met with the brothers and encouraged them, and then they left. So, if you don't know the passage, if you don't know anything about this church, you can just ask, okay, what is, what is, who, who, who are these people who are, who are gathered in this, in, this, uh, in this house? What is this church about? How does this church came to existence? To existence? And it is, so I invite you to, to look at this passage, um, most like in iceberg. So and if you see the tip of the iceberg, you just see the outside. But when you start digging in and going deeper and deeper and deeper, you see there is just so much more underneath the water. And that is actually the whole foundation of why that tip of the iceberg is there and is secure and is uh, ready to put down another Titanic. And so uh, it's, it's very interesting to see uh, how these people came to, to know the Lord, who are these people, and uh, how the transforming power of the gospel not just transforms these people, but also unites them. And so uh, I invite you to, to start in looking at Lydia's life, for example. Let's just start to have a, a very uh, a nitpick, a very, um, just a, a short introduction to this, to this lady's lives and, life and, life and, and background and to see how she came to know the Lord. And so, as you know, she was a, <clears throat> a dealer of purple, purple cloth, and she was from the city of Thyatira, which is basically uh, a city in Asia, uh, minor Asia. So she was uh, from Asia. And it's very interesting to see. So she's basically, nowadays, she would be a successful businesswoman um, from... Um, Asia, minor Asia. So she had her own business of a expensive textile. So she was very influential in the fashion world at this time. She was definitely from the upper, um, upper class. Uh, she had a property in town. So she was exceptionally a, a woman who, was, who definitely went, uh, at, at that time, women did not really have a whole lot of influence, but, but at this house, Lydia was able to, to, um, to progress in, in her life, and she was a very influential woman. Um, and uh, she, was, she was also very religious. She was a very morally correct person. And um, she, she was uh, converted to Judaism, and she would definitely fit into Alexandria's profile of people. Of, of people. She would probably have a, a house here in Alexandria because of her profile. And it's very interesting to see that this intellectual woman was attending this Bible study 
and uh, by the river, and um, which is also very interesting because at, at that time, for 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 them to have a a synagogue, they would have they would need to have at least ten ten or fifteen men uh, that were uh, Jew, um, Jewish, but at this city in in Philippi, uh, there were not. So they just had a small prayer meeting by the river, and this is why Paul. Uh, knew about it and went to, to, to this um, prayer meeting with these ladies. And so um, this woman, intellectual as she is, she came to, to know the Lord basically through a small group Bible dis- discussion. And it's very interesting to see, uh, I love this verse in, in verse uh, 14. Um, where it says, the Lord opened her heart to respond to, God, to, to Paul's message. And we see that the act or the, 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 um, the possibility of us having faith in God, it's already a miracle in itself. If the Lord does not open our hearts, if the Lord does not open the, the hearts of the people around us, it will be impossible for us to have faith. And so we see this lady that uh, basically held the first church in her house. And Paul, in his almost daily routine, daily, um, yeah, daily routine in the city, he was followed by this slave girl. Um, so it is very interesting to see that this slave girl is the exactly opposite of Lydia because she was uh, in the um, bottom of, the, um, of any social class that, that could exist. She was economically, she was slave in every single sense. She was a slave spiritually, economically. Um, she didn't own her own body, not even her own freedom. So, uh, and it was very interesting to see is that she knew what Paul and, Sil- and Silas were talking about. So intellectually, she knew about their message, but that did not change her heart, neither church changed the, her life because the way that she would come to the Lord was not through a Bible study like Lydia because her personality is completely different. And so the Lord knew that. And because of that, Paul exp- um, expelled the spirit in her and she was freed. And so here we see a completely different person coming to the Lord through a completely different um, situation. She, w- she came to the Lord not through a Bible study, but through a power encounter uh, of the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and it's, it's so powerful to see that uh, there is no chain that is strong enough that the, uh, to, to hold the power of the gospel, because the gospel changes everything. And so by that, by expelling the Spirit from that woman, uh, Paul and Silas got to prison. And it was very interesting also to see that in prison, Paul and Silas, um, verse 24, when, when, when Paul and Silas, after being severely beaten up, they were handed to the jailer. And so this jailer, this gentleman, was basically a Roman soldier his whole life. And in, almost in, uh, uh, before his retirement, he was uh, promoted to be the, the jailer, basically the person in charge for this 
uh, for this uh, jail. And so when he received these orders to take care of us, take care, to, to keep Paul and Silas, he put them in the inner cell and fastened them into the stocks. So if that was not enough for Paul and, for Paul and Silas to, to, to be uh, beaten up severely, this jailer put them under torture. The inner cell was basically a uh, cell without any windows, so it was a very dark uh, cell, and um, almost like a solitary. And, and the stocks was, were basically a piece of wood that you would uh, put your feet apart, and you would fasten your feet apart, and after a couple of hours, you would have horrible cramps. And so Paul and Silas were not just beaten up, they were under torture but they were doing something so amazing, something that I cannot even almost understand what's happening here, because um, verse 25 says, said, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns. I get grumpy if I don't get my coffee in the morning. These guys had been beaten up and under torture. I mean, how can that be? And that was amazing. So this uh, soldier, he was basically a, an officer. He was driven by the orders. He was driven by honor. He was driven by his duty. This was a very practical, a very pragmatic person. This gentleman here had no spiritual interest or awareness, awareness whatsoever because he was just a person of practical stuff. He received orders, he accomplished it, and accomplished well. If he didn't accomplish, literally his head was cut off. So, you know, his head was literally at stake. And so, um, this gentleman would not come to know the Lord just through a Bible study, because he, he's not spiritual aware. This gentleman would not come to know the Lord through a power encounter, because this gentleman almost retiring, he had his whole family, he had his own house, he had his perfect life, he was a, basically a middle uh, class gentleman, gentleman, yeah, and that in a sense, that, um, in the, the most beautiful sense that a, a Roman soldier can be, but, um, but he came to know the Lord because he saw how the transforming power of the gospel can actually affect a person. After Paul and Silas had been severely beaten up, were under torture, and were singing and praying, not only that, but Paul and Silas gave up their freedom for the lives prisoner. After the earthquake, which was extraordinary, that was something that the Lord sent, that was uh, kind of a miraculous thing that happened. Um, this jailer thought that he, his life would be ended because he failed in his mission of taking care of all these prisoners. He didn't know that all the prisoners were still in the cell. And so he was going to kill himself. Otherwise, he would be killed by their superiors. So, you know, as a matter of honor, I might just well get the job done here. But Paul and Silas, they could have seen that opportunity as a way of be free to continue to spread the gospel. After all, you know, 
The cells are open. Why not to live? But Paul and Silas, they, um, they changed, they switched their freedom for the, for, the, um, for, for the jailer's life. And that was very, very special. When the, when the jailers saw that, when the jailers saw that Paul and Silas did not flee, neither allowed any of the other prisoners to flee, that jailer saw that there was something so much more deep in Paul's life that he didn't have. Just like Sarah just uh, introduced to us this morning, he was trying to quench his thirst with something that he just could not have. And even, and even if, it was very interesting to see this, because even if Lydia had accomplished everything she had planned in her life, she was a successful businesswoman. She, she had everything, even if that jailer had everything that he wanted. Tim Keller said that even if you get, if, uh, in, his, in his sermons, says that if you, even if you get everything you want, you wish in your life, you will live in a slow despair, meaning you will never be fully satisfied. And he also mentions that in a sense, each and every one of these um, personalities here, Lydia, the slave girl, and the jailer, each one of them were a slave in a sense, even though they didn't realize that. Lydia was probably a slave of her own business, of, the, of her wealth, maybe of, the intellectual, um, of her own intellectual uh, and. And the, and, the, and the gospel changed that to be now a woman free, free to give her own house, to, to, to establish the first church in Europe, free to now give her own financial resources to take care of Paul and Silas. And it is very interesting to see that uh, the, the letter to Philippians, now the established church in Philippi, the letter to the Philippians, is now a church that contributes to mission. And I'm not saying that because I'm a missionary and because I want all the churches in the world to contribute to missions. No, I really want to, 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 to show here that the gospel changed lives. The gospel deeply changed the way we see everything around us. And it's so interesting to see not just the transformation of the gospel, but the unity of the gospel as well. Because you would never see these three types of personality just having coffee in a Dunkin' Donuts or any other Starbucks um, around. But here, the gospel unites people. You see that these people here, not only they didn't have what they expected, what they really needed in their lives, But they, what they really got was they really what, what was what they really uh, what was they really needed. So um, we see here that even though we don't deserve the grace of God, even though we don't deserve being saved, we are saved by the grace of God. And we saw this when we go deeper in the iceberg. Uh, we see um, in the in the previous chapter. Acts uh, uh, chapter 16, verse 8, 9, and 11, 
when, um, when Jerusalem was having its first consul, they were having an argument, and they said, verse um, 8 and 9 and 11 of Acts 16, 15, sorry, and made, um, and made no disti distinction between us and them. Here is uh, Peter speaking about the Gentiles around them. Purifying them, their hearts by faith, so God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. But we believe that through the grace of Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. And so, here we have the, power, the transforming power of the gospel and the leading power of the gospel. When we see also in verse uh, six in in, the, in in chapter sixteen, we see something here that I don't see anywhere else in the Bible, which is a double denial of the Spirit of God, prohibiting Paul to preach the gospel. Have you ever seen this? Brian did not read. I asked him not to read this uh, to to keep you this surprise. And if we come to verse six. Paul here is basically starting his second missionary journey, and he wants to uh, travel through all the churches already established in his first uh, journey. And so if you look at verse 6, at chapter 16, we, we read, Paul and his companions traveled through, throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When... When they, when they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them. So here we have a double denial from the Holy Spirit to preach the Word of God. Isn't that so interesting? But when God closes one or two doors, He opens another. Basically, Paul was coming out of Israel. He wanted to go to Asia. The Spirit of the Lord didn't want to because he had another apostle to go to, um, planned to go to Asia. Then he wanted to go to north. No, that's not what you should go. And then the Lord gave um, Paul in the next verses a, a vision of a Macedonian uh, gentleman asking for help. And this is where uh, Luke comes in the picture. And we, we start looking now that... Um, the pronoun here is not they, meaning Paul and Silas, but we, Luke, Paul, and Silas, and another gentleman, uh, uh, Timothy. And so with that, I really want to, to, to keep this. The transforming power of the gospel can change any life in any situation and unify them in the gospel. And the transforming power of the gospel leads our lives however he wants however he desires because God has an ultimate plan and his plan is perfect. So with that, I want to finish and close with, us, with a prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the direction of your Holy Spirit, Lord. We thank you because we do not deserve this, but we are here because of your grace. We are here because the transforming power of the gospel have once reached us. And because once you have opened up our hearts to respond to the message that was preached to us. Lord, if tonight we haven't 
open our hearts, opened up our hearts. May you open up. May you do this miracle and open up our hearts to respond to the gospel uh, of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.